I think one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to bring to mind what we have from Scripture. So if you're not really studying Scripture, not knowing those things, the Spirit doesn't have much to work with in your mind. So we, we need to seek that wisdom. Um, and then when we, have, when we have chosen what is moral uh, within his commands in Scripture and his guidelines in Scripture, so when we choose that, we must trust that the sovereign God to work all the details together for our good. Okay? Then um, I pick up here with some practical steps, like step-by-step step on how you make those decisions. There's those physical principles, but then how do you take these steps? And I found it helpful in the chapter in our textbook, uh, The Gospel for Disordered Lives on Decision-Making, because it, it lays out things that are very helpful, not only you know, as you're trying to make a decision, but even to search our own hearts as we're doing it. Um, I have counseled a lot of young guys that they, they don't come necessarily looking for, oh, I want to know about my career. I want to, but just any time that some of those big decisions are involved, the heart is revealed. And so I appreciate that in the book, um, the author's, of the gospel for disordered lives, really bring that out. All right, so the first one, commit yourself to God and pray. Let's start with uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. And maybe someone can um, find 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 31. Found uh, either of those, you can open it to us and read it. Very good. So we make it our ambition to be pleasing to him. Um, 1 Corinthians 10.31, someone find, found that one? Very good. Thank you, Josh. So godly decision-making starts with a proper personal heart condition and a right posture before God. Ask yourself, heart-searching questions, am I committed to pleasing God? Do I want to do X or not to do X for godly reasons or for self-centered ones? Is God's word my final authority in every respect in my life? Am I crying out to God for wisdom, humbling myself before him? We know that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When um, we make plans, uh, James talks about that. If you, you say, I'm, tomorrow I'm going to go and do, go to such and such a town and, and do a trade, it, that, that is pride. You're presuming that God will give you what you've been planning, what you intended to do. You know, instead you should do it God, God's will, and he's speaking here God's will, his sovereign will, his providence. If God's going to bring about the right conditions for this to happen, I will do this. So I think it, it putting it in the right perspective, am I seeking a selfish pursuits or... Um, I'm seeking, you know, putting everything under the sovereignty of God. In decision, uh, necessary areas about which other Christians defer, am I seeking to love, to serve, to prefer my believing brothers and sisters by willingly limiting my freedom so as to pursue unity and not injure those with weaker conscience? I think that is very helpful for us to consider. Um, if you're living in a household with roommates or other, you know, other people, are you considering them as well? Or you're just thinking about yourself. Instead of us, um, us making choices apart from the Lord, we also 
need to depend on him. I, this is where I quoted here James 4.15. The Lord wills will live and do this or that. Now, study scripture. Now, number two here. Study carefully and prayerfully the relevant passages addressing your specific decision um, area. Search and scour for God's word. Don't just assume the Bible has nothing to say on the matter. Be sure, I do remember uh, there was, I think, one of my very first counselees, I had to counsel this couple that had a decision to make with frozen embryos. I mean, I just remember frozen embryos. Where you, where you find that in the Bible? It, it was hard. But then I thought, well, does the Bible talk about life and, and us generating life? So does the Bible condone uh, abortion or, or the killing of even embryos? No, so they were deciding if they were going to keep these embryos or if they were going to destroy it because the hospital had a, a, a deadline. And um, this particular lady had, was in her 50s. So it's like, what do you, what do, you do? She, is, is she able to have those babies? Or um, it's something that it, it was a lot going on. Um, when the doctors were saying, no, she's fine, she can have them if she wants, if it's her desire. And then we come down, well, the Bible clearly forbids us killing, so we, destroying those embryos were not an option. Right? Then we move on to the next thing, where does the Bible give wisdom here? Well, um, we, I remember walking them through, well, as parents, you're, you're already parents. They're not born, but they are your children. You're supposed to provide for them and, and care for them. So if it was something financial, they couldn't bear that child. They was going to put a restraint. They could just, if they were unable. What was the possibility? Well, they can put the embryos for adoption. And, and so we walked through that. It was, and then we kind of decided the pros and cons, and we'll see here some of the. So the first question should be, is there a biblical command or prohibition involving my decision. You should, on that one, there's no freedom. You know, you, you just know you have to obey. But then when it comes down to, okay, I'm, I'm obeying God, there's all these possibilities that I could obey God. Uh, what do I do now? So within my choices, are there biblical principles that give me wisdom on the topic? All right. Step three, gather needed information, explore the options, and examine your heart. Where are what are the relevant facts about yourself and the situation that apply to this decision? Do you have enough information? Do you need to research something? Who should you talk to? Have you explored different options? What unanswered questions remain? After addressing all of that, consider this by suggested you know, method uh, that includes wisely searching your heart. So brainstorm and draft a two-column list of pros and cons factors related to each option you're considering. So, with this couple, I had to walk with them and um, kind of think, well, or the husband didn't want to have them. Um, they already had a child. I thought, this child is too rambunctious. I can't handle another one. Well, it came out that he just, he, both of them were workaholics, and they did not want to spend time with the, the kids. And so, you know, putting the pros and cons, it was like, oh, your pros are telling me a lot about what you do, and your cons telling me a lot what you really value. So I think from, from there, it, it's helpful for us to see um, 
our own hearts on these things. We order each factor within each column in order of its importance to you. One of the things that you value the most, assign a percentage weight to each of items, so the total pro list and total con list equal to 100%. Force yourself to honestly ask which pro and con factors you most value. Then honestly and prayerfully consider your godly, ungodly, or mixed motives for including each pro and con item. You know, if uh, for those that are counselors, pastors, helping people, I think it, it, it's, a, it's a great thing to, to help people to sort that through. Because sometimes they don't know their intentions. I recall another situation where um, it's happened this young guy trying to figure out like a career path, and um, it, it kept coming back to, oh, I don't think, and he had a job, a good paying job, but he was just dissatisfied. I'm like, well, I think I need a, a better job, a, a, a better paying job. I'm like, well, it's not, nothing wrong with that, not, nothing wrong with wanting to, but it, it was like, why? Well, I've tried this, I started college for this, but I dropped, but I, and I just started asking questions. It's like, well, and, and he kept saying, no, it, it was this traumatic situation where I was dating this girl and her dad told me that I, I couldn't date her because I, I wouldn't be able to provide for his daughter. So it's a genuine concern. Um, but the dad had this really high standards for what living was. You know, and, and it wasn't that this is guy's, guy was irresponsible. On the contrary, he was very responsible and he was you know, going to college and trying to figure out things. But he kept going back to, the, to that story. Well, I just, you know, the next person, I, I, I just hope that when I talk to the dad, there will be no objection. So he kept going back to that. He kept going back to that. I'm like, well, are you seeking to do a career because you want to please and glorify God or you, you want a good paying job so you can get the girl? And, and it's... It really opened up his eyes. He's like, what? Man, I am lit. And, and it was like every time, every conversation we had, it came down to this. Look, just the next time I talk to a dad, I want to make sure that I, I have that. Well, didn't that show and reveal his heart? Praise the Lord. This guy's doing really well. Um, you know, got college and got another job, actually, paid even more. I don't know where he is. He found a girl yet. I haven't gotten in contact, but... Uh, it, it was it was very helpful to think about you know what are the pros and the cons and what is really behind that. All right, in joint decisions involving another person, for example, your spouse, encourage the other person to take the same steps outlined above separately from you, and then discuss together your respective list and analyze as you made each you each made about uh, ranking percentage weights and motives for each factor. Be sure you and the other person listen so well to each other that you each can accurately summarize the other perspective and can work toward loving unity in your decision. Um, I think Proverbs is a lot of wisdom on that for us being good listeners. Sometimes we have our mindset, I know, in marriage, we're trying to take, make a decision and, you know, we can, women can be so obstinate that we don't listen to our wives and, and their wisdom and that, you know, they can see things that we don't see. So for those of you who are married, how do you go about when you have diverging opinions? What do you, what do you, 
What is your procedure? What is helpful? What is not helpful? I want to hear from you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate something that you said there um, on the, you know, if you're, things are unclear, right? And it's kind of the point there when seeking counsel from others. Um, Jay Adams calls this the holding principle. Um, if it is possible to delay the decision, don't act until you're sure your conscience is it's right to move forward. Now, Romans uh, 14, 22, 23 talks about uh, whatever you believe about these things, keep between you and yourself and God. Bless is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever doubts, he stands condemned in what he eats because he's eating is not from faith, and anything that is not from faith is sin. So I think some of those situations where we'll just be stuck, I mean, like, I, I, I don't have, I don't want to put too much emphasis on the peace part of it, right? Um, that we can be frozen to new. So, but, but simply, if it is a matter that I can't wait, just don't move, don't do anything quite yet. But if the matters can't wait, make the best decision possible um, taking these steps. I appreciate that Eric also said, you know, there is a, a heavy responsibility on husbands, um, you know, to, to take that load. Um, sometimes, and uh, you're disagreeing, you, obviously you want to make sure that you're a good listener, that you're understanding where they're coming from, that you are able to rephrase it back to your spouse and say, oh, so you're saying this. Did I get it right? Um, um, these are your pros, these are your cons. Um, what can we agree on this? I, I think that is helpful. Uh, but ultimately, there are times where, uh, you know, the husband will, take, will have to make the call. And, I mean, we're talking about here within the freedom that God has given us in his word. All right. And then I, I would say for the wife, uh, too, uh, realize that sometimes when things didn't happen the way you wanted, that you, you should be a support to your husband, not a nagger. You know, at times he will fail miserably. Your role is not, I told you so, should have gone my way. No, you're going to support him and say, you know, you make this decision, we trust the Lord, and this happened, praise him. In his sovereign, that was his plan. You know, I think that that is a helpful way to, to, to say things, not to be nagging your husband, okay? All right, uh, the point four is seek counsel from others. The book of Proverbs repeatedly exalts the value of seeking good counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Without guidance, a people will fall, but with many counselors there is deliverance. Proverbs twelve fifteen. A fool, fool's way is right in his own eyes, but he whoever listens to wise counsel uh, is wise. Proverbs thirteen ten. Arrogance leads to nothing but is strife, but wisdom is gained by those who take advice. 15.2, plans fail where there is no counsel, but in, with many advisors, they succeed. Then talk that one, 27.17, uh, famous one about friendship. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Many times, uh, it's good to have that one friend that you go to. Uh, it could be an elder. It could be a deacon, whoever, close friend that is more mature or has more experience in a certain area than you do um, to seek that advice. 24-6, you should wage war uh, 
with, with sound guidance, victory comes with many counselors. I think particularly if those decisions, they're very weighty, that has consequences, or you, you, you move in states, you take in a different job, options are, are given to you. I think it's very helpful to, to just hear other people. On the other token, I think <laughs> there are those that if they have to talk to everyone in a family, at work, at school, to, to be able to make a decision, and it's just paralyzed to, to make a decision. And I think there is a danger with that, that when you, you're too much into this and seeking people's help, that you just can't make a decision on your own. That, you know, you're not considering, what are my God-given gifts? You know, I think it's helpful. There's wisdom in seeking counsel, but you can't take that to an extreme, where God is ultimately, God is going to hold you responsible, not the other people. Um, then decide to act. Having prayerfully done, that's where I'm getting here, prayerfully done the above and based information you have, decide. Make what you believe to be the wisest and the most spiritually exp expedient choice. Within Bible's boundaries, God gives you freedom. So if you're seeking to please him and by obeying his word, do what you think is best and trust God for the results. Don't let fear keep you from acting. I think that's helpful. Um, we can be so paralyzed, and that's not, not godly either. You know, you, you have studied, you have gone through scripture, and then yet you're just, I, it, where is this coming from? Is it because I don't have enough information? I can't decide yet. I'm, I'm doubting because, or is your doubt just unbelief, a lack of trust in the Lord that he, he can make that, you know, things work out? One way or another, he is going to establish his will. So that's what the last point is here. Entrust your wise decisions into God's hands and live for him. Once you make the decision, don't look back and trust your choice to God. If things don't turn out the way you hoped, you will be tempted to regret or second-guess your decision. Despite the care that you took above, an undesired result will reduce will tempt you to become disappointed or angry with God or with those who advised you. Don't yield to that temptation. Instead, trust your sovereign, wise, and good father with whatever consequences flow from that decision. In Proverbs 16.9, I think it will be helpful for us to go there. We're going to go there again in the sermon today. Um, but it really talks about that God's sovereign providence orchestrating and bringing things to pass as he pleases. Um, it says, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. So we can make those plans and we can act on them, you know, biblical plans. I'm not just saying, uh, you know, if you're, if you're thinking something ungodly, contrary to God's word, and you just think, well, God established my paths now. I'm like, no, you're going against his word. You shouldn't expect that. But you obeyed him, um, and, and some things are not going as you planned. That's okay, because God has acted in his providence to bring that about. Doesn't mean necessarily you made a bad choice. It just means that, you know, God had to modify that. And we know uh, from Romans 8.28 that God works all things 
right? For our good, and that good is to make us more like Christ. Um, I, I think that is a comfort for us. Um, if you're seeking to please the Lord and um, things don't go our way, it's a comfort for us that he will use whatever circumstance that happened to make us more like Christ. So trust the Lord to be with you and to help you to handle any adverse outcomes. Remember that part of trusting the Lord is learning from your decisions and growing maturity. He is with you and for you, and even if you hoped for results, never come. I think that was a very good statement from uh, the gospel for disordered lives here. All right, now let's get practical. Decision-making about marriage, okay? So um, I'll try, I have a lot in here, actually, and so I will leave mostly for you a reference if you want to take a look on these, and, uh, but I do want to take time to answer questions, you know, more pointed questions. It might not be you, it might be for your friend or a friend of a friend, so <laughs> just um, keep that in mind, all right? So should I seek a spouse? I think that is a good question, and you know, the next year when we come back from a new year, uh, one of the first topics that I'm going to be talking about is singleness. Uh, I really want to spend some time uh, talking about that biblically. So we're going to spend um, some time on that. Um, I would say first understand what is the purpose of marriage. Why is so heavy? Why do you want to get married? You know, I think most, most single people that I talk to, they they would say, I, I, I want to be married, and that's fine. Um, it, and although marriage is not a command, there's not a command in Scripture, thou shalt marry. It is the most common setting in God's plans for his children. From creation, God's original plan for mankind, for companionship, Genesis 2.18, it is not good that men should be alone. Um, I did a, a study at some point when I was in college, in college, in, in seminary, I uh, wrote a paper on singleness, and I was kind of like tracing back how singleness was throughout ages, how different cultures, so in the Old Testament, singleness was almost, you know, it was totally undesirable, it was not something that people hoped for at all. Um, and even Jesus' time, people got married really young. <laughs> um, and then the Greco-Roman culture had a perspective the new church, you know, the New Testament church had a different perspective, and um, and even in the future, you know, in the in the kingdom, there'll be no more marriage. So there is, in a sense, that uh, companionship that we have with others, um, and you know, maybe with a spouse, but it is not a forever thing in God's original plan. And Jesus said that you in heaven, nobody's going to be married. We're all going to be brothers and sisters. So I think we, we, we should put that in perspective. It is, you know, a, a good thing. It reflect, reflects God's plurality in oneness, right? He says, let us make uh, people in our image. And then he did male and female. So there is a plural there that makes one. It means by which, it's the means by which the blessing of having children is fulfilled. Uh, Genesis 1.28, I think it's helpful. Um, I, I, sometimes I read people talking about Rome, uh, Genesis 1.28 as if, you know, it's a command. 
to have children. It, you have, you know, if you're not having children, you're disobeying God. It's a command to have children. I think it, it is a blessing to have children. Some people can't have children. They try and try and try, and they can't. So um, for us to say, oh, you're disobeying God, you're contradicting his sovereignty. God wouldn't command you to do something that he didn't enable you to do. So I remember studying, even uh, one of my professors was saying, no, this is a, God is blessing the world to multiply, to be fruitful. That is a blessing. You know, he's blessing them so they would fulfill, so they would have children, so they would multiply. It is not necessarily a command. Now, I do question when people don't want to have children because it, it's kind of like a natural way. You know, it's, it's part of the, the combo. <laughs> it, it's, it's a blessing, and it should be pursued. Uh, I question when people pose, I don't, I don't want to have children. It's a matter of responsibility. It's a matter of um, inability. Um, you know, there are certain pregnancies that are high risk. So maybe a couple opting not to have children on their own might be wise, but they can adopt. They can have. So um, children is not a reason for getting married. I think that it's another thing. Uh, I mean, the believer and unbeliever got pregnant. Um, well, we have to get married. Like, no, you, God does not make you break a command in order to, to pursue, you know, another thing. You have to be able to provide for that child. You got to parent that child. But it's not a, 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 a reason for, for being married. You're not going to break God's command to, in order to do something. And I, I'll say even for believers, you know, are, are these two people mature enough to, to have a family? Um, I think, you know, it, it should seek some counsel there. I don't think it, one should lead to another necessarily. And then it is a covenant of companionship. And Proverbs 2.17, Malachi 2.14 talks about, you know, this covenant of, of a companion, the companion of my youth. You can't break that. You can't betray that. Um, in God's plan, it is monogamous. It is heterosexual. It is exclusive. There is no... Uh, changing partners, there's no more than one partner, and um, it is complementary. God has made marriage to be complementary. doesn't have two heads in a household, it's just one head. And then the question comes, what about sexual desires and emotional needs and having children? Um, I think, and we're going to get there, First Corinthians 7, but I see a lot of people saying, well, you should get married because you have uncontrollable sexual desires. Um, no, that, that, that's not. It might be an indication that you're not um, fit for remaining single for a long time, but it's not a, a, a way out of temptation. That is not how God um, leads you out from that. So though marriage involves these elements, it is not the main purpose. I mean, there are couples. I mean, a professor of mine saying that he has counseled people that they're not able to have uh, sexual relations for um, health problems that they have. You know, so, I mean, it is part of it, um, but it's not uh, the main thing of it. I think it's an expression, um, and it's enjoyable. We should pursue if it is in your ability. You should have it. 
I mean, the Lord does say, have at it. <laughs> you should be fulfilling your spouse um, and yourself by default. Then understand the purpose of singleness. All right, so here I want to spend a little bit more time. In 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul addresses whether his readers should pursue marriage. God has gifted certain people to remain single. As a single man, Paul offers the fact that singleness gives him greater freedom to serve the Lord. It is God. It is not good for men to touch a woman, he says in 1 Corinthians 1b. But I want you to be freedom, free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. I'm reading verses 32 to 34, by the way. Um, the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord and that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Then Jesus also speaks of some who remain unmarried for the sake of the kingdom. So um, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, and I think we're looking at, um, this is having this whole discussion about divorce. And the Pharisees um, say, well, if this is the case, I think this is the passage that says that. Um, yeah, verse 10, uh, the disciples said to him, because you know, Jesus said, you know, divorce is not an option. Um, just Moses gave this instruction as a, a, an exception, not as a norm. And the thing, if, if the relationship of the woman with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. So they're thinking, you know, if I can't, because they wanted to divorce for whatever reason they, you know, they, they thought. And, and Jesus is saying, no, you, you, you can't for whatever reason. And they thought, well, if I don't have the freedom to divorce, I better not even marry. <laughs> That's a lot like our society does today, right? They don't want to have that commitment, so they just they have um, uh, partnerships where they live together without being married and, and all of that. Uh, Jesus is saying, you know, if you're taking that seriously, you know, if you're considering divorce, don't marry because that's not God, God's design for marriage. And he says, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. So there is the eunuchs. Um, people that have been emasculated, who were born, born that way from their mother's womb, or obviously there are those that were emasculated. Um, then their eunuchs were made eunuchs by men. Um, and then he gives a third category. They're also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let them accept it. So uh, Paul will discuss this category of people that are dedicating themselves for the sake of the kingdom to spend time serving the Lord. If you are single, um, you have more time on your plate. That's what he's advocating here. It's not that only single people serve God and married people don't. I mean, I, if we just look out around our church, we have both singles and 
married people serving. So I don't think it, it should be an excuse for married people to say, no, I don't have time, you know, and, and not serve God. Um, and then for single people, be overwhelmed. And just, oh, you, you have more time, you do this. I don't think we should play that card. In any case, um, these scriptures do not mean that one must remain single to serve God. That's what I was saying. While Paul wishes more people had this gift of singleness, he recognized that others are gifted to be married in verse 7. Many would not be able to endure the temptations of singleness that may bring. Verse 2 says, But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. And I think what he's getting at here is if you are in a position to choose, you know, there are people available, their interest, and you should not refuse that opportunity if you are tempted to be sexually immoral. If you have the opportunity, the Lord has given that, you should not choose not to marry because you know that is just going to make you more prone to sin. He goes on to say, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them to remain as even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul makes it clear that each person is free to choose whether to be married according to his own gifts or desires. Um, for most of us, not good to be alone. Just, not just because of sexual urges, but also because we're incomplete without a mate. With This is um, Jim Neuheiser I'm quoting here, and I'm going to give a different perspective from what he's getting at. Paul makes it clear for each person, free to choose whoever he's married to, for most of us, not good to be alone, just because of sexual urges, but also because we're incomplete without a mate with whom we can enjoy personal intimacy as we share life together. I disagree with that. I don't think um, we're incomplete. The whole concept of soulmate, you know, you have to find your, your, your other half. Um, God made us complete in Christ. Uh, you don't need marriage to be complete. Uh, so uh, the person who is not gifted with singleness will better be suited to serve God in the context of marriage. How, how in practical terms can people know whether they have the gift of singleness? Throughout church history, many men and women like Paul remained single and were able to have an effectively serve the Lord. Um, how about the urges, Right? The scripture does not claim that people who are gifted to be single have no sexual desire and no interest in the close companionship that marriage offers. Instead, those who are gifted to be single can be content without being married and are able to keep sexual desires under control. I think that is a good distinction because, uh, I mean, I am about to live, you know, and, and talk to someone, say, well, I have, I'm, have the gift of singleness and I have no desire. <laughs> Those are rare. I mean, there are people out there that have no desire whatsoever. But I don't think that should be a, an excuse to say, um, I don't have the gift. Actually, my perspective is, um, you know what? I'm just going to tell you right away. <laughs> my perspective is, particularly what Paul goes on to talk about later in the same um, you know, paragraph about slaves and them having the freedom to be free, take it. You know, I, I think um, singleness and the gift of singleness, no, first of all, no gift of God is something to be hated, to be, 
you know, oh, I, don't, I don't want this gift. It's, it's a bad thing. You know, every gift from God is a good gift, and we shouldn't d- decline it. I think that a gift of singleness can be for a lifetime, or it can be temporary. If you are single, you have it. <laughs> it, is, it is a gift from God, and you should use your singleness for the purpose of glorifying God. But we can talk more about that next year. What I wanted to get at is um, in this decision, um, you know, we, we give thanks to God um, for the time that we're single and we serve him. We use our singleness uh, purpose in a purposeful manner. Um, then um, Jim Neuheiser continues here. This is, this is an indirect uh, direct contrast to the usual self-centered reasons that unbelievers remain single, right? If you read 1 Corinthians 7, Paul has given a reason for people to remain single. That's not how unbelievers think. They are avoiding the commitment so that they can pursue their own selfish agenda in life in the same way those who choose to pursue marriage should not should do so because they recognize God has made them for companionship. Alright? So, it, 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 we are to freedom. So decided, do we want to marry or do we want to remain single? But if you were saying, I want to remain single, are you dedicated, are you devoted to the Lord, to use your singleness toward, to the Lord? Now, how can we know that someone is ready to be married? And I, I, I put that section there, actually, I will, um, I'll let you read it, um, give you just a few examples here. I don't think someone that is struggling with sexual sin is ready to marry. You know, I'm not saying that they should necessarily break up or, um, but, it, you know, some counseling will be helpful um, because if they can't control their urges now, when they're exposed to sex, temptation will be greater. It won't solve the problem. If anything, we'll just increase it. So I think we should take a break and, and, and um, evaluate how things are going and, you know, seek help because marriage doesn't solve the problem. It, it might bring some relief, and that's what Paul is saying. You know, it should influence your decision to say, I'm not, you know, uh, um, if I have the option, I shouldn't choose not to marry. All right. Uh, Proverbs 22, 24 talks about uh, someone that is judgmental, that is angry. I don't think that person is ready to marry. I think there's guidance in Proverbs. talks about women, they're quarrelsome. I mean, you just look at that. I think it, it should, and Solomon is not writing in the sense of saying, oh, sucks to be you, you're married to a quarrelsome woman. That's not what he's saying. He's writing to instruct his son. He's giving instruction for those that are unmarried. I mean, you see these signs. Look what could happen with you. Don't go there. You know a guy that is just, hot temper, and you see the signs, don't go there. That's, that's what, you know, Proverbs is giving guidance. Um, all right, any, any questions so far, comments on here? Yeah, yep. it is a blessing. Um, and, you know, there's so many ways that the gospel can display it in, in both lives. You know, I think that's where Paul is, is, is advocating there in 1 Corinthians 7. You know, there's, 
blessing of being married is blessing in, in being single. Both should be for God's glory. And, and, and both should be about displaying Christ for others. All right, how about then um, you go doing that? You know, I think uh, the, the question comes, how do you find, right? Um, I, I'm going to get to that a little bit, but how can you know whom you should marry? All right, side of my mind, I do want to be married. I want to be married, yet I am single. Maybe I have the gift temporarily, not for life. Uh, then how should I choose between one over the other? So I, I think there is a lot of mysticism on that. You know, it, this whole thing of the one, and I think it's where it, it really comes down to the traditional view of God's will. There is only one person for you uh, in this world, and you have to find them. And if you marry someone else, sucks to be you, you, don't, you didn't get the one. You have God's plan B. It's not, not going to have a happy life. And it just, no. In, in God's sovereignty, if you marry that person, even for the wrong motives, or it, it, it is his will. <laughs> in his providence, he did allow that. I mean, if you, if you have married an unbeliever, clearly you have broken God's commandment. And that's where I'm going to, try to get it here, um, we need to seek wisdom. It is not about, uh, you know, the fuzzy feelings. It's one of the things that I, I do ask a lot about when doing premarital counseling, just where, why you want to marry this person? Um, and, you know, the, the, the answer is very telling. Oh, I just, I just love them so much. I just, you know, it's all about the feelings and, and um, do you know them? Um, Yes, it is important for us to, to have an affection. <laughs> um, but infatuation can often be misleading. Ask them, what, what do you think love is? Oh, I just think it's having fun. Oh, I just think it's um, just this thing I feel. I can't explain. I can't put into words. I just feel it. <laughs> like, well, love has clear definitions in Scripture. So there is a way that seems right to man, but the end is, is death. Samson, um, you know, is the one that had love at first sight. Look where he ended up. Single people must guard their hearts and have biblical priorities as they look for a spouse. Um, you know, Proverbs 31, describing that woman that's the ideal, right? It, it, the emphasis is really on the fearing God. So, Here's some instructions. I, I put a little chart there. I thought it was hilarious. But if you, uh, there's these two people and they're looking for the bulletins in the, uh, up the bulletin board. And, and the, look, the guy just looks at it. It's just babes, babes in Christ. It's, it's a class for new believers. And he's thinking, wait a minute. And then the lady is, is looking there and she says, fisher of men. Oh, I can find a man of my own. <laughs> but the fishers of men is an evangelism group uh, for, for the church, is not for the singles. <laughs> so Christians must only marry in the Lord. I think that is um, the major thing. You know, in the Old Testament, we had the Deuteronomy saying that we should not intermarry the nations. There was clear commands. Um, in the New Testament, Paul issues a general warning about 
being bound together with unbelievers. If they came to Christ later in life, you can't prevent that. You know, it's just something that you, you would have to deal with. Um, but if you, if you are single and you are a believer, you can't be bound together. You can't be unequally yoked. He also explicitly mentions his right of taking along um, a believing wife. So, and likewise tells widows that they are free to remarry whom they will only in the Lord. So, 1 Corinthians seven thirty nine. Some Christians claim that they plan to use their dating relationship for the purpose of evangelizing their boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, I think it's one of the greatest deceptions. Um, and it, it is more common than you think. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, 7, 16, and I mean, even for people that are married, Paul is talking to them, how do you know a wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know a husband, whether you'll save your wife? Um, and he's giving instructions for those to, to remain if they want to be a witness to them, but if the spouse abandons them, they're, they're free. But for those that are single, that they have the option of marrying, they they shouldn't be pursuing unbeliever, an unbeliever. You're not God. You're not sovereign. You can't save anyone. You can't guarantee that. It is a sin. And then just claiming to be a Christian is not enough. It's not enough that someone merely professes to be a believer. Scripture warns that many claim to be followers of Jesus prove to be false. Um, there are those that will pretend to be Christians just to you know, I, I like this nice Christian girl. I remember looking on um, dating apps, the unbelievers, just, no, I just want a, a Christian person. I'm like, no, you're at the right place, buddy. Not, <laughs> not there. Uh, you know, so, um, let me get here. When considering marriage, you must look beyond someone's profession for evidence of a vital relationship with the Lord. According to Jesus, you will know them by their fruits. Do they exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit or they are characterized by the deeds of the flesh? Are they committed serving members of a biblical church? Do they have a good reputation with their church leaders? These are all good indicators of a person's true spiritual state. And even real Christians may not be prepared for marriage. Some some who is young in their faith may still need to work through some serious sin issues. For example, lust. He may need to grow spiritually in understanding the grace and love of Christ so that he or she will be able to exercise such grace and love with a spouse. They might lack a spiritual maturity. Now, I, I do think, you know, and I comes the question, should I marry someone that is young in the faith? Could I marry someone like that? Should I... Um, you know, that they're younger. You know, I have some, some people that have been a believer for 10 years. Can they marry a person that have been a believer for one year? I want to hear your thoughts on this. I'll give you the answer right away. What do you think? Yes, and why? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good. They're, they're being sanctified. Mm -hmm. you've, seen, you've seen the growth. Um, I, I think sometimes we, we put requirements that Scripture never did. 
you know, if it isn't the Lord, it's on that it's fear you can you can pick from. Um, in I think putting an, an I I do think though doctrinally, y- you guys should be aligned. Um, even if you're not from the same church, I think there's should have some alignment there. Um, I mean, Lindsay and I were talking about this the other day. It's like, boy, imagine what it is like, you know, from from the woman's perspective. If, you know, they believe that there's submission there, how she'll probably have to go to his church where she doesn't agree where what he's teaching. I think it is even harder on the women in that sense. Um, yes, I think the guy will struggle with the wife that doesn't want, you know, doesn't believe the same thing with him, but, you know, I think for the wife it's even worse. And she, she has to follow him. I think one of the clues to, to help you can, if it is a guy that is more mature it, and the girl has less years, is she a follower? You know, is she teachable? Um, is she growing? Yeah, she might not have all the understanding from scripture that you're expecting. Um, and then on the other hand, I think there's like, uh, I remember being in seminary, everybody would be joking. Like here, the girls here at Grace, they want to marry a Joe MacArthur. You know, it's, it's someone with a high level of, in, of intellect. Actually, I, I, I remember being there and just saying, well, avoid that person. <laughs> that It's prideful. I mean, they talk. I, I had been in contact with people that have a lot of Bible knowledge that were just prideful. So it's it so Bible knowledge, many years of being Christian or not, I think that shouldn't be necessarily a determining factor. I think maturity should, growth should, but not necessarily Bible knowledge. What else? <coughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, if I would, I'm not going to do this, if I would ask for a raise of hands here, someone in your family that marries someone, either they are dating themselves in this situation, um, that they married thinking that the person was a believer, and then at the end, they were not. I mean, I think most of us would say so. It, I don't even need to show the hands. So it, it is good that we, Take the time to evaluate that. Then the other question comes, should you be attracted to the person you marry? Did I put, an, did I put something there already or no? Okay. Okay, I remember struggling with this, this a lot. Where in the Bible say that you should be attracted? It, it, that's the part where I think, you know, I had people saying that, you know, pastors, sh- should I be attracted? On the contrary, scripture, whenever it speaks of beauty, it's an, on a, you know, more of a uh, warning level. Do not be deceived by beauty. Let not be the emphasis. Let not. And so, um, yes, I do agree with you. I think you, you should have you know, some sort of attraction. But if you think about it, you know, for many, many years, people got married without even knowing their spouse, who they were marrying, never seen them. Um, And uh, 
I don't know if I copy there, but fiddling in the roof, right? It's, uh, he, he asks his wife, do you love me? And then she answers it with, you know, these this long questions as they married 25 years before they conclude that they did learn to love each other as the other shared life together. Now, I, I think, you know, that there is, I do believe it is important that one, to be attracted to the person whom she is considering to marry. God's design is that a husband and wife will find delight in each other physically and emotionally. Um, Proverbs 5.18, Song of Solomon's, you, you, you see that there is an attraction there. Um, so, but at the same time, um, I, I remember sorting this through, um, and I'll take you here through my reasoning for you young man, if you have that thought. First Peter 3. First Peter chapter 3. I, I do remember just struggling, you know, because uh, beauty is very relative. Um, we, div- I just remember as a teenager, I had just a gamut of, of, of standards. It has this, to be this high, it should be this, I had a whole thing where that was my standard of beauty. And then I, I question, even not, not just myself, uh, but people that have these standard of beauty, where is that coming from? Is that a, a, a personal preference or is that a, an influence? I think our culture today is highly influenced by pornography. It is everywhere. You look at the, uh, what do you call those, uh, banners, uh, billboards. You know, they slim fit. The, the, the jeans are designed today to be, like, tighten you. It's, it's just there's a whole emphasis on, on a standard that, it, you know, it, it's shaping the way we see others. I believe attraction is, you know, it's not as much beauty it could involve the personality. It can involve the, you know. Have Have you met someone that is just handsome or, or very beautiful, and they open their mouths and you're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> that person is just ugly. I can't, you know. I remember there was this one girl in college that I was just uncomfortable around her. The guys were just turning their heads around, but it, it was the, the thing she talked about, I'm like. Who are you? You know, it's just, it makes her, and Proverbs talks about that, right? You know, there's, it's like a, a beauty misplaced is like a, a jewel in the, in the mouth or in the nose of a, a pig, right? I think that it's a, it's a good illustration of that. So I remember my, my professor talking about this passage, um, verse 7, uh, no, verse 7? No, verse four, 5 backtrack three it's talking about women and how they um, should adorn themselves the adornment is not being merely external braiding the hair the wearing of gold jewelry or putting on dresses i.e external appearance but let it be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in god's sight i remember you know, thinking about these two qualities, the gentle and quiet spirit. I, I started praying 
God, I want to date someone, and I want to see someone as you see them. I want to see them as you see. I want to consider precious what you considered precious. A gentle and quiet spirit, I mean, you eliminate already half, if not more than that, of women. You're not teachable. Just argumentative, uh, just wanting to, you know, uh, learning. Doesn't mean the person is, is to be quiet, not, never talk. He's not talking about that. It's just a, a teachable person. And, and I prayed for that. I remember God re- replied, this was not Lindsay. So the girl I dated before Lindsay, she was nothing like my standard, so to speak. And I, it really broke that down. You know, I had people in the church saying like, oh, you guys serving together, um, you know, would you consider? And I mean like, oh, I don't, I, it's just, I'm not attracted, you know? She's taller than me. It's just, and it's just, I'm not my type. And I kept going through that, and this verse, you know, kept going in my mind. And I just prayed, God, let me see as you see. Um, obviously, that was not the person, you know, God wanted for me. I married someone else, and there's way. <laughs> uh, but in a sense, God did use that to break that standard because as, you know, I was like, you know, I'm going to give this a shot. We went a few dates, and I was like, wow, this person is beautiful. And actually, uh, and Lindsay knows about this. Um, she was one of the, you know, most of the beautiful girls in the church. And you, people are thinking, like, what are you thinking? Like, she, she's attractive. It's like, what it, but it, we all have different patterns. We have different standards. But as I got to know her, it's like, wow, this person is, is, is beautiful. And God's, pro, you know, providence, it didn't work out. I did not regret one bit because it had something better for me, <laughs> you know? But I think it, it does help us when we put our hearts in submission and thinking, God, I want what you want. I want to value what you value. Would you help me to see with your eyes? And I, and I think he does that. Um, question where this, this standard is coming from. It, yes, you should be attracted. I I agree, but where, where is that attraction? Define to me what is, what is your standard. What is your type? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, very good. Very good, Eric. So both guys and girls. I think for girls particularly, the fact that, um, you know, some of you have wonderful parents. Um, and... And you might be thinking, um, I got to marry a guy that is just like my dad, you know, that has this and that and, and, and does this kind of work. And, the, you know, is that a, a, a pattern? I mean, if, if he holds too good, you know, he's a mature believer, yes. Um, but don't make a standard that God hasn't made. You know, I, I want to... I, one more last question, and then we'll close. I'll, I'll save the ministry call for next year when we come back. Um, how about, what else do you think should influence that decision? So beauty, we see that it's not necessarily the, um, the major thing. should be part of it, but not, um, and I wouldn't say beauty, attractiveness to the person. What else should be on that equation there? I mean, obviously, they have to be a believer, so 
check the box. They're a believer. They're not just an outward professing believer. They're true Christians. They are growing. Um, what else should be in there? Very good, Steve. Yeah, he, so we, we talked about doctrine, right? And uh, I think, you know, I know this is an application from the verse talked about um, that you shouldn't be unequally yoked. So I think there is an application there for doctrine too. If you can't be, you know, too distinct, going to different directions doctrinally. And then what Steve is talking about, his goals, goals in life. Um, you know, if you have... Two, two very distinct goals. Uh, for the man, it will be hard for, for the girl to follow. You know, you're going in one way. Um, if, if it is missions, for instance, um, and, and it's not something that they're open to, and not necessarily, like, I, I don't think Lindsay was, I mean, she considered missions before, but she wasn't um, dead set. Oh, I'm going to be in Brazil, <laughs> you know? Um, but she was open to it. Uh, and then for the girls, are, are you able to follow that person? Um, is that something that you can live with? Um, it, it, I think that should be a, a, a breaker for that. David? So the following does not... Yeah, so the following that David's saying is not just... That one following. Oh, I gotta close up here. But you know, any 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 big decisions in their life, um, and I would say to being open-minded to uh, different circumstances that God is not gonna give you the exact person. I mean, we change preferences. I I remember I wanted to marry a lawyer. I mean, what? I can't even, in, <laughs> when I was young, that was my, that was one of my things in my mind. Like, that changed quickly. <laughs> so set aside, I, just one more example. I had a friend in seminary that he was just, he's Russian. He's like, I'm Russian, I have to marry a Russian, I cannot marry anyone else that is not Russian. And he had that for a long time, it was for years. And he was single and, you know, went back to Philadelphia and he didn't marry a Russian. Sometimes God does do that, but it's not always. I think we, we should value what he values and, and, and let, you know, entrust the decision that we make. All right, let's pray. Gracious Father, we praise you and worship you for your word that is true, that is um, perfect, that teaches us, instructs us in every decision that we make. I pray that you would encourage us to uh, persevere um, in studying it, seeking your commands, and seeking wisdom in the areas that are not so clear to us. And I pray, Lord, for all of those here that are considering marriage, um, that you would um, give them a, a desire to first and foremost uh, serve you in any scenario in which, in which they are, Lord, and then you help them to act uh, on what they believe your word is saying and trust the results with you. And we pray for the rest of our uh, worship time here. In Jesus' name, amen.